0: There's a lot of times when I get up to preach, I'll have four, five, six, maybe eight, ten points. Today I have one, so don't think you're going to get out early, though. We have one point, and I just want to make sure that we address it in a way that it really does need to be addressed in the day that we live Psalm 8, the psalmist pens these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth, who has set Thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast Thou ordained strength because of Thine enemies that Thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. We just got done singing at the cross. and I thought as we were singing that third verse, how fitting it is to the message this morning. The writer of this song says, Well, might the sun." In darkness hide and shut His glories in. When Christ, the mighty Maker, died for man, the creature's sin. The psalmist understood that God was an almighty God that sits in heaven. In fact, He's the one true God, He's the only God. And that He had created all things. In fact, the Bible says in John 1, Without Him is not anything made that was made. In Genesis 1, we find that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The great God, the all-powerful, almighty God, the omnipotent God that we serve, stepped out on nothing, and He spoke, and the worlds came into existence. There's a movement today that has been finally accepted now as science, but they still call it a theory called evolution. The truth is, they can never prove it because it's not true. The Bible tells us that all things were created by God. And there's so much evidence, scientifically even, to this. That the Lord Jesus Christ was there when the Father stepped out on the nothingness of space. And He said, let there be. And He goes through a list of things in Genesis 1. And you know what the Bible says? And it was so. He spoke and it was so. And then He puts man in the Garden of Eden. He created him perfect. He tells him you can have dominion over all of the animals, which we read about here in Psalm 8. And uh, He said, I'm going to put you in the garden to dress it and to keep it. And that was a joy for man to do. Work was not the result of sin. Work was what God designed men to do. And uh, we are most fulfilled, most satisfied when we're working. You want to find a miserable man find him without work, sitting on the couch all day long. He's miserable as he can be because that wasn't what God designed him for. And uh, God put them in the Garden of Eden said, you can eat of every tree, but the tree that's in the midst of the garden, He said, you can't eat of that one. And He gave man and woman a free will. He gave them a choice to make. Adam and Eve chose to do what their desires were rather than what God's desires were. And by the way, that's always the root of our sin, our pride. Wanting what we want rather than what someone else wants for us. Thinking more of ourselves than others. And really, it boiled down to the fact that Adam and Eve wanted something more than they wanted to be obedient to the Lord. And so they sinned, and we know that story. The Bible says death passed upon all men. Or that all have sinned, all because of that one man, and so now we're born sinners. We're born on our way to hell. And the truth of the matter is, uh, he made a way. He made a way. I would look at what man had done to God in the beginning and say, "Well, why didn't he, why didn't God just get angry? Why didn't He just bring judgment on them right then?" And the truth is, He provided a way. He could have destroyed man right then and started all over. But He didn't. He loved man. And He wanted a way for man to be able to be reconciled to Him, to be, we call the word, redeemed, to be bought back, to be purchased again. The Lord Jesus Christ did that when He went to Calvary, He hung on a cross. He paid a debt that you and I could not pay. I'm amazed at how many people in the world today think that if they live a good enough life, God will let them into heaven. If you ask most people in the world, are you going to be in heaven? They're going to say, well, I hope so. I sure hope so. You say, well, what what would you have to do to get to heaven? Well, I try to live a really good life. The Bible says that it's not by our works. It can't be. In fact, the works that we have to offer are, are filthy rags to God. They really are. The Bible tells us that. There's only one way to go to heaven, I sat and talked with someone who knew, who knew, had heard these things before. But it's amazing how sometimes we hear these things and yet we still don't put our faith and our trust in them. We are given one way to get to heaven, and that is by putting our faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us on Calvary to pay for our sin. The fact that He has come and lived a perfect life, which no other man has done, died, was buried for three days and three nights, but He didn't stay there. He rose again. The Bible says of His own power. I'm thankful that He rose again, aren't you? If He hadn't risen again, He wouldn't have been who He said He was. and He wouldn't have done what He said He did. But because He lives, I can have faith in what He's done for me to forgive me of my sin and to lay on top of my record His record of perfection. So that when God, the holy, just God of the universe, looks at my account, my record, He doesn't see me. He sees Christ. He offers that freely to every man. And when we think of this, the fact that the reason we were on our hell in the first place was not because God sent us there, but because we chose it. The fact that He loved us enough when He could have just started all over, it would have been just as easy for God to... Wipe the slate clean and start all over again. But He didn't do that. He loved us enough that He kept us here. And He made away a horrible price that had to be paid. And He paid it for us. And I am amazed in the world that we live in, how many people hate God. used to be they were ignorant of Him or didn't know about Him, but we're living in a day where people hate Him. They know that he exists. I was reading some things by Charles Spurgeon this week, and he made the account from Romans chapter number one. In fact, take a moment and turn over there with me. Let's let's read this together for a moment. But he he pointed out something here in Romans chapter number one. Let's read it together, if you will. we begin in verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. Do we see that? They hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. If somebody says, I'm an atheist, don't you believe it? There is in every man a desire to seek for God. And he says in verse number 20, "...for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." And I want you to notice verse 21. "...because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful." but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. I, As i thought on this week in preaching on this message, I have thought of so many people that deny God, that hate God, that would never darken the door of a church. And I thought, how did we get to this place? And then I began to realize something. That it began, sadly, in the pews of our churches. It began with Christians not having a proper view of who God was themselves. And it ended up being that because we didn't have the right view of God, we weren't presenting God to the world the way they needed to see Him. I was putting some things together. I preached a series of messages here a year or so ago on Some of the 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 churches, these mega churches, and some of these pastors, so-called, these men that get up and preach, and and they make people feel good. They're they're, uh, they're 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 these motivational type speakers is really what they are. And some of the heretical things that they have said in order to make people feel good, so that when the when the preaching time is done, they walk out the doors, and they think very highly of themselves. It's amazing to me that the Bible teaches that he must increase and I must what? Decrease. That's, that's, what God, that's what God expects. For him to be exalted, and the closer I get to him and see his exaltation and who he is, the more I realize my sinful and my undone condition. And it brings humility to me. But we're in a day where men are standing in pulpits and trying to deify and try to make gods out of people and make you feel like you're on the equivalent and on the level of God, and in some cases, even above God, and so that when you walk out those doors, you feel really good about the way you are. The Bible tells me that I need to be broken and have a contrite spirit about my sin, about my failures to God. And I I know that we we are not... Uh, one of these type of folks who just absolutely love to hear about our sin. It's, it's not one of those things that we're just over thrilled, overjoyed and thrilled to hear about. I understand that. But it is needful that we have a proper view of God and a proper view of ourselves. I wrote down a few things in, in just to bring to you because I know I've said some of these before, that there are men out here that are making uh, blasphemous statements about God. Preachers that stand in pulpits. And I'm going, to, I'm going to quote you some here from the pulpit so that you have the exact words that they've said from their pulpits. There was one who said this, and I believe it was Creflo Dollar. He said, you don't have a God in you, you are one. Another one said this, he said, pray to yourself because I'm in yourself and you're in myself. We are one spirit, saith the Lord. In other words, he was saying that because God said that he was going to come and be a part of our life and live within us, that we can just pray to ourselves. We don't have to pray to God anymore. And I think how blasphemous and how poor of a view of God that we really have. So appalling to me how many times these men have said that God cannot do, cannot do anything in this world without our approval or our authority. Can I tell you this? God can absolutely do anything he chooses. In fact, the Bible tells us that the very fiber of creation, the molecules, the atoms that we are made of, are only held together because of His hand. If He removes it, it all disintegrates. It all goes away. God can absolutely do anything He chooses in creation. Jesse Duplantis said this. He said, I say with all respect so that it doesn't upset you too bad, but I say it anyway. Anytime a preacher has to preface that, uh, that, you better watch out what's coming. He said, when I read in the Bible where Jesus says, I am, I just smile and say, I am too. And folks, these are preachers saying this. And then we wonder why our world has such a poor view of who God is. A man by the name of uh, John uh, Avanzini He said this, he says, Jesus had a big house, Jesus wore designer clothes, and Jesus was handling big money. Fred Price said this, he said, "Uh, Jesus was rich, and that He left us with an example to follow. He said, that's why I drive a Rolls Royce, because I'm following Jesus' example. He made this statement. Mr. Fred Price made this thing. He said, How can you glorify God in your body when it doesn't function right? What makes you think the Holy Ghost wants to live inside of a body where He can't see through the windows of the eyes? He cannot hear out the ears. Insulting handicapped people. Saying that the Holy Spirit would not live inside of such a body. I tell you this. The Bible says that He came to heal the broken heart. He came to, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. We've read in Psalm 8 that the psalmist said in verse number 3, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. He says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? Well, what a question. What a probing question. I have read uh, from A.W. Tozer. uh uh-huh a statement that he said, and I've shared often here. He says, whatever we think God to be, He is not. Because the truth is, our finite mind, our, our, our mind that is limited by what we know and what we can understand, cannot understand the infinite. We cannot understand a God who is all-powerful. We cannot understand a God who can stand out on nothing and speak all that is in existence, into existence. And it still did not deplete Him. It wasn't like God got done with creation and sat down and said, boy, I'm tired. He finished creating creation and didn't even deplete Him in the slightest. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 6. And my thought and my message today is this. Oh, worship the King. For He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. And we're living in a time in a place where we do not have a proper view of God. When men stand in the pulpit and say, we want to worship God today, what they mean by that is we want to elevate ourselves to feel like God today. May I encourage us throughout the preaching and the teaching of His Word, and we're going to look at a lot of Scripture this morning, that we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. We need to worship Him and to have a proper view of Him. Look with me in Isaiah chapter number 6. Probably one of the clearest and distinct uh, indications of the the thing that takes place when we come into God's presence is found in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. He says, High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one with six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twenty did fly, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is what? Full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah is standing there witnessing this vision of God in His throne. He sees that the whole earth is full of His glory. He's trying to describe this. And he makes this statement in verse 5. He says, Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I am amazed at the ministry of the prophet Isaiah. I believe he was a godly man and a God-fearing man. But I don't think Isaiah ever saw himself in such an undone state as he did at this moment. That the closer he came to the presence of God and seeing Him in His glory and His holiness and His throne, to see God in this state, And to realize his own undoneness. He cried out and he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Notice what the Bible says in verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Well, we could learn an awful lot from Isaiah, couldn't we? It's amazing to me how people in this day and age, and I'm talking about not in the world, but in our churches, refer to God. How lightly we refer to Him. How carelessly we refer to Him. When I was a kid, one of the phrases that was used quite often was, the man upstairs, the man upstairs is looking out for me. No, the God of heaven, the eternal one, the supreme one, the king of all kings is looking out for you. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the good old boy. I'll tell you this, he is not subject to you or I. Contrary to what churches and ministries may teach and write in books, we are not supreme and above Christ. We are not above God. There was one who tried to make himself to be equal with God. We knew him as Lucifer. He said, I will be like the Most High. And God judged him, didn't He? May God help us and deliver us from this mindset of treating the matter of God carelessly, with little respect, with little reverence. We're going to come back to Isaiah chapter 6, so put a, put a marker there and, and hold your place. We're going to see a few things, but I want us to, to look at some other Scripture, if you will. Turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And I'm going to do my best to read a, a good number of Scriptures today. And I'm going to ask, if you will, because it's oftentimes difficult to pay attention when someone is reading in public. But can I ask you this morning to make a concerted effort to keep your mind engaged? To stay focused on what we're reading this morning? Look with me in Psalm 119 in verse number eight, uh, 18. Psalm 119 and verse number 18. The psalmist writes this. He said, uh, uh, let me get the right chapter here, sorry. He said, Open thou mine what? eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. This is the psalmist writing this. And I think, boy, if there's ever a person who saw God the way that he should have seen Him, I would have to say it would be the psalmist. I mean, look at the times that he wrote so many things. Uh, let's look in Psalm 4 for a minute and let's see how the psalmist already had viewed God previous to this. And I want you to notice that in spite of how well he saw God and what he knew of God, he still said, Lord, open Thou mine eyes. Can I tell you this? If the psalmist felt like he needed to see God better, if the psalmist's prayer was, Lord, open my eyes, how much more should our prayer be? Lord, open my eyes. Look in Psalm 4, if you will. The psalmist writes this, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness, Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, wilt Thou thou up the light of Thy countenance upon us? Thou hast put gladness in my heart. More than in the time that their corn and their wine increased... I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for Thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. I love what he says in verse number 4. Stand in awe. Stand in awe and sin not. Can I tell you this? When we see God the way that He is, it ought to cause a sense of awe in our lives. If you don't understand that word in the day that we live because it has... Our language has become so desensitized. Have you noticed that? You ever seen something that so surprised you, you stood there with your mouth open and you couldn't even think of what to say? I would say that's standing in awe. Speechless. So amazed that there are no words to express. The heart and the emotions become so overwhelmed that there are no words. Look with me, if you will, in Psalm 24. Again, reminding yourselves this, that the psalmist's prayer was, Lord, open Thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of Thy law. Look what he says in Psalm 24. The earth is whose? Man's. Is that what it says? The earth is the government's. By the way, don't worry about global warming. God's got it under control. He is not limited. He's not worried. He's not sitting up there biting His nails saying, Boy, I sure wish they would change things. They're going to destroy my earth. The earth, the Bible says, is His. He controls it. He holds it together. He he sends the paths through the sea. He tells the winds when to blow. He tells the rains when to fall. The earth is the Lord's. And the... Fullness thereof. Not just some of it, all of it. The world and they that dwell therein. Boy, that's a condemning statement to you and I, isn't it? Because there are a lot of people out there saying, I don't belong to God, I belong to myself. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all that dwell therein, they're His. For He hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Well, if we were to sit in some churches today and we'd be lifted up in our vanity, according to Psalms, we wouldn't be able to stand in God's presence because of our vanity. Our deceitfulness. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. This is the generation of them that seek Him, that seek Thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and lift up ye everlasting doors. Notice this. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates; even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. See lot. Oh, that we would learn to see him for who he is. He is not some dis, uh, dis- uh, associated being somewhere off in outer space that created the earth and man and left us to our own devices, that is simply an observer. He is the King of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. In fact, the Bible says that He has the heart of the King in His hands. The Bible talks about the fact that He holds all of creation together in His own control, in His own hand. He's the one that keeps us all from disintegrating and just falling apart. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, mighty in battle. The Lord God of hosts. Notice in Psalm 27, the psalmist writes this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Ponder that for a moment. We could not live were it not for Him. "...whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though the host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, "...to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in His tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will what? I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises." Unto man? Unto myself? Unto the fact that I'm a good person? That's what some would preach. The Bible says, I will sing praises to who? The Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me, and answer me. When Thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto Thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God, of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I want you to notice this verse. I had what? Fainted. Unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We need to have a proper view of Him. We fret and worry. Our hearts are troubled. They're weighted by heavy burdens because we do not trust Him the way that we ought Look with me in Psalm 30. Psalm 30. The psalmist writes this, I will extol thee. The word extol is an old English word, and it gives the idea not just to to have a proper uh, attitude or view of God, but to declare that proper and and proper view of God and attitude of God. To to present it to those that will hear. to, To trumpet it out. To to tell others from the mountaintops and from the rooftops, uh, He is the One. He is all of this. The psalmist says uh, in in, uh, verse 1, I will extol Thee, O Lord, for Thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto Thee, and Thou hast healed me. O Lord, Thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, and I should thou should go down to the pit, not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. What's an interesting concept today, isn't it? For us to worship Him, not for what He does for us, but because of His holiness. For His anger endureth but a moment, in His favour is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. The Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried unto thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be Thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to Thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto Thee forever. O worship the King. He is not the good old boy. He's not just some being out there, some higher power. He is the King of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And the amazing thing is, He loves me. And He loves you. Look with me, if you will, in Job. The book of Job. Chapter 38. If there's ever a time for for me to ask you to try to keep your mind on this I would say now because we're going to read a little bit pretty good portion here I want you to understand who God is this morning I want us to have a better view You say are we going to fully know God when we leave here t- today pastor no you're not even going to have scratched the surface yet My goal is that you'll have a better view though My goal is that we'll see him in the in the state that we're supposed to And that is in a state of awe and in a state of reverence, in a state of fearing Him and honoring Him and extolling Him and praising Him. Look what what the Lord answers to Job. Job. Job questioned God. He just asked a simple question. And here was God's answer to him. Are you ready? It's two and a half chapters long. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Now here's his answer to Job. Where wast thou? When I laid the foundations of the earth. Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors like uh, when it break forth, as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud the garment thereof, And thick darkness a swaddling band for it. And break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors. And said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further. And here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days? And caused the dayspring to know his place, that it may take hold of the ends of the earth? that the wicked might be shaken out of it? Is it turned as clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment? From the wicked their light is withholden, and the high arm shall be broken. Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea, or hast thou walked in the search of the depth? You know, there's points on the ocean we cannot even get to. But God's there. Have the gates of death been opened unto thee, or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare, thou knowest it all. Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? That thou shouldest take it to the bound thereof, and that thou shouldest know the paths to the house thereof. Knowest thou it? Because thou wast then born. Or because the number of thy days is great, hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war? By what way is the light parted, which scattereth the east wind upon the earth? Who hath divided a watercourse for the overflowing of the waters, or a way for the lightning of thunder, to cause it to rain on the earth where no man is? "...on the wilderness wherein there is no man, to satisfy the desolate and waste ground, and to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth. Hath the reign of a father? Or who hath begotten the drops of dew? Out of whose womb came the ice and the hoary frost of heaven? Who hath gendered it? The waters are hid as with a stone, and the face of the deep is frozen." Canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pallades, or loose the bands of Orion? Canst thou bring forth Maseroth in his season, or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? Knowest thou the ordinances of heaven? Canst thou set the dominion thereof in the earth? Canst thou lift up thy voice to the clouds, that abundance of water may cover thee? Canst thou send lightnings, that they may go and say unto thee, Here we are? Are you still with us here? He's not done. Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Or who hath given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds in wisdom? Or who can stay the bottles of heaven? When the dust groweth into hardness and the clods cleave fast together, wilt thou hunt the prey for the lion, or fill the appetite of the young lion's? <clears throat> when they crouch in their dens and abide in the covert or lie in wait, to lie in wait? Who provideth for the raven his food? And when his young ones cry unto God, they wander for lack of meat. Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth? Or canst thou mark the hinds when the hinds do calve? Canst thou number the months that they fulfill, or knowest thou the time when they bring forth? They bow themselves; they bring forth their young ones. They cast out their sorrows. Their young ones are in good liking. They grow up with corn. They grow; they go forth and return not unto them. Who hath sent out the wild ass free, or who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass, whose house I have made the wilderness and the barren land his dwellings? He scorneth the multitude of the city; neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture and he searcheth after every green thing. Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee, or abide by thy crib? Canst thou bind the unicorn with his band in the furrow, or will he harrow the valleys after thee? Wilt thou trust him because his strength is great, or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? Wilt thou believe him that he will bring home thy seed and gather it into thy barn? Gavest thou the goodly wings the, under the peacocks, or wings and feathers under the ostrich? "...which leaveth her eggs in the earth, and warmeth them in dust? And forgetteth that the foot may crush them, or that the wild beast may break them? She is hardened against her young ones, as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. Because God hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath He imparted to her understanding. What time she lifteth up herself on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder?" Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth, paweth in the valley and rejoiceth in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear and is not afraid, and neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him, the glittering spear and the shield. He swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, Ha, ha! And he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch out her wings toward the south? Doth the eagle mount at thy up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth on the rock, upon the crag of the rock in the strong place from whence she seeketh the prey, and her eyes behold afar off. Her young ones also suck up blood, and there where the slain are there she is, or there is she. Moreover, the Lord answered Job, after all of this, two chapters of asking Job, where were you? Do you understand these things? And he gives him a whole list of them. Then he goes on to say, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 40, uh, chapter 40, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. And Job answered the Lord. And I want you to understand, when God said this to Job, Job was mortified. Look at Job's response. God just told him, He said, who are you to contend with me? He said, you're trying to reprove me? Go ahead, give me these answers. Job, that's what he's saying. Notice what Job says. And then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am what vile. Can I tell you this? When we see God the way that He really is, we will have no problem seeing ourselves the way we really are. He said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand... Upon my mouth. In other words, Job said, Lord, you made your point. I'm not going to ask you again. Who am I to be asking you, the Creator, the one that does all of these things? Who am I? How vile I am. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Now let's go back to Isaiah chapter 6 and we'll be done. All worship the King. My goal, my, my heart today is that we will in some way see God more clearly as we leave this place than we did before we ever walked in here this morning. I want us to look at something here with regards to our worship for Him. You'll find, if you check me out in Scripture, this remains consistent. The Bible says in verse number 5 of Isaiah chapter 6, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He had a proper view of God. It gave him a proper view of himself. And when he was worshiping the King the way that he should have, when he had the right view of him, notice what the Bible says here. In verse number 8, the Bible says, "...Also I heard the voice of the Lord, saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me." You go through Scripture and you find the places where God humbles the man and exalts Himself in the eyes of that man. And you will always find humble obedience and service to Him, follow Him. You want to worship the King? Get a proper view of Him. You say, well, I, I sure want to serve God. You worship the King the way you should. You have the right view of God the way you should. You won't have any trouble serving Him the way you should. We're supposed to be lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was... I was heartbroken by a number of things this week. I, I sat in my chair and just said, Lord, why? Why? Why is there such a disregard? For your holiness? Why is there such a disregard of reverence and awe? Why is there a lack of fearing you? And it wanted, my my initial thing was. I said, boy, I just can't stand Satan. I can't stand the devil. He's made this world a vile place. The more I sat there praying and talking with God this week, the more I realized that many times it's the preaching in our churches that is to blame. It is our fault for not elevating Him. It was our fault for not proclaiming Him in truth as the Bible does. To show forth to people who God really is. I've said so often before as we read Scripture, I think it's a wonderful thing. We ought to read it. We ought to memorize it. We ought to study it. We often focus on it being the Word of God. But can I ask us to do this? As we come to His Word, can we not begin to look for the God of the Word? Make our focus Him? To find him in Scripture, to see who he is, to learn more of him. You say, Well, will I ever know all there is to know about him? No. Not this side of heaven at least. But oh, we need to be we need to be growing in this thing. We need to be drawing closer in it. Because we've got a ministry to reach this world. And we need to have a proper view of God. We need to learn to worship Him in holiness in righteousness. We need to learn to fear Him. To be in awe and in amazement of Him. And it doesn't take very long of doing those things that we don't begin to realize my pride is beginning to diminish. My humility is beginning to increase because I've seen the King. I see Him. And it causes me to look and say, Woe is me. I I want to challenge us today from God's Word. He gave us this book to tell us how to go to heaven. He gave us this book to reveal Himself, what He wants us to know about Him to us. He wants to reveal Himself to us. Let's, let's learn from it. Let's go to its pages and say, Lord, I, I hunger and I thirst for You. I want to know more about You. I want to see God the way that He is. And I may not have a vision like Isaiah did, but I can read Isaiah's vision. I may not have the same experiences that David had, but I can read about those experiences. And I can say, Who is like unto our God? Who is like unto Him? It's amazing to me. Three different times in Scripture, the phrase is made, Who is like unto thee or who is like unto the Lord our God? And the answer to that is, there isn't any. And I was in college a number of years ago, a fellow came to preach. I don't remember the message well, but I remember him over and over again in the message. He was an old southern preacher. He would say something about God and he'd follow it up with, there ain't nobody like him. And it was terrible grammar, but it was awfully good theology. Oh, worship the King today. May He have His rightful place in our lives. May there be a proper reverence May there be a proper awe, a respect, a love for Him. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we stand humbled this morning. Oftentimes we become so encumbered with the affairs of life, we don't even recognize, we don't even see in our own lives how our opinion our view of you